Welcome back to the Word on Fire show. I'm Brandon Vaught, the host, and joining me is the Bishop of Catholic Social Media. We're going to talk about that title here in just a second. Bishop Barron, welcome. Hey, Brandon. Always good to be with you. Hey, before we get to the topic of today's show, which is a bishop's guide to social media, I want to talk about two super exciting interviews that you just did. Now, this podcast episode is going to be airing a little later in December, so by then, mm -hmm. these interviews will have already aired, but... Um, I'm talking, of course, about your interview with Ben Shapiro and Dave Rubin. Um, yeah. Talk a little bit about those two experiences. Yeah, they both were good. They're they're based here in in the L.A. area. And I've, I've been on Dave Rubin's show before, about a year and a half ago. And he's got a very strong presence in social media. Uh, it's an interview program that goes out through YouTube and Facebook and various forms. And, uh, you know, it has all kinds of interesting people on. It's been a very lively show. And of course, Ben Shapiro, I'd never met before uh, the interview. Uh, same thing. He has a, a strong you know, social media presence, and he does a very high-level interview program for Sundays that's often with kind of you know, cultural figures but leaning toward religious uh, figures. So I was you know, delighted to be asked to be on both those programs. Um, Shapiro was, um, was especially kind of high-level. I mean, he had a whole set of of uh, questions about philosophy, about theology, about the relation between Judaism and Christianity. Uh, so I found it, you know, really stimulated, really interesting. And then Dave Rubin had me on with uh, Rabbi Wolpe, who's one of the best known rabbis in the country based here in LA. So we talked a lot about, again, religion, society, Judaism, Christianity, secularism, you know, all those, those topics. So uh, I enjoyed both conversations a lot. What is it about these sorts of interviews where you're not in a churchy space, you're not, you know, interviewing on a Catholic radio station, God bless them as, as good as they are, of course. Uh, what is it about these sorts of opportunities that particularly excites you? Yeah, and you just said it there. It's it's the what we call the odd extra, you know, the moving outside of the walls of the church into the wider cultural space. And I'm very interested in that. Uh, Catholicism at its best always has been interested in moving outside its own kind of narrow uh, framework. And addressing the wider culture. So, um, you know, Dave Rubin has announced himself really as a non-believer. Uh, ben Shapiro is a very devout Orthodox Jew. Um, I, I say two great people for a Catholic bishop to be talking to. And I was happy, by the way, that with both Shapiro and Rubin, uh, we did that. I mean, we talked about Christianity in relation to like an Enlightenment view of the world in, in Dave Rubin's case, and a Jewish uh, view of the world in Ben Shapiro's case. So anyway, I found that uh, great. And um, yeah, odd extra. You know, the church that, as the Pope says, goes out to the existential margins. You know, in some ways, people like Dave Rubin and Ben Shapiro are kind of some of the major thought leaders, if you want to use that term of, of today. You, of course, would be described the same way in the Catholic space. It reminds me, at the risk of being a little grandiose, of the way that Thomas Aquinas interacted with uh, Maimonides and Aristotle and the great thinkers of, of other religious traditions, it seems you've said this many times, you want to bring back that sort of engagement mm -hmm. where we're not just sort of blandly tolerating each other, but we're, we're interacting, we're talking and discussing our differences. Yeah. And I'm glad <laughs> you're right. I don't want to compare myself to Thomas Aquinas, <laughs> who's my great hero, but at least in that measure that what Thomas did in the middle ages, namely to have a, a really lively, respectful, engaged conversation with a range of voices, Catholic, non-Catholic, uh, Christian, non-Christian, believer, non-believer. So think of Thomas dialoguing with uh, classical paganism, Thomas dialoguing with Judaism, Thomas dialoguing with Islam, Thomas dialoguing with different schools within the Catholic uh, intellectual tradition that he wouldn't necessarily be sympathetic with. 
Um, good. That's the model. It's neither violence nor bland toleration, but it's a it's a active, respectful engagement through argumentation. And I think that's really a good thing, an important thing in our society and our church today. Well, the topic of this show is A Bishop's Guide to Social Media. And I, <laughs> I kind of took the title from a Wall Street Journal article, which just ran that profiled you. And that article was titled The Bishop of Catholic Social Media. So first of all, how'd you feel about that title? <laughs> Why well, is it okay? I, I never aspired to that. You know, I we got into social media years ago when I was a priest of Chicago and I was a teacher at Mundelein Seminary. And we thought, well, let's use this means to get the message out to a wider world. Uh, that's it. That's how I started. Now, in that process, I um, I grew up to be rector of the seminary, then eventually bishop. But I didn't really think of putting those two things together. Like, boy, I want to be the bishop of social media. So it just kind of happened that way. Um, but, you know, okay in the measure that um, that's a, a space that I inhabit in a sort of missionary spirit. Uh, I think bishops are evangelizers. I mean, I go back to the early church. Um not so much bureaucrats, and I can, nothing against bureaucracy, we need it. And not so much administrators, nothing against that, we need that too. But I think um, bishops in the early church were, were proclaimers of the gospel. And so is it appropriate that a bishop be in this social media space to announce the gospel? Yeah, yeah. So I'm not, you know, bishop of it in some sort of you know, supervisory way, but part of it and involved in it, um, yeah, I'll, I'll claim that. That's okay. I still think for many people, it's strange seeing those words juxtaposed bishop and social media. I know when I first started getting into this space, you know, I wrote my first book, The Church and New Media, which you contributed mm -hmm. to. And yeah. that book sort of launched me around different conferences and tours. But everywhere I would go, whenever I would give talks, most church leaders, virtually all priests and every bishop that I talked to was really skeptical and nervous yeah. about social media. It seems though that the tide has slowly changed. Have, have mm -hmm. you seen that among some of your fellow bishops and priests? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because people just got used to it. Uh, the social media, as you and I have both said many times, is the Areopagus of today. So Paul goes into Athens, this great cultural capital. He goes to the place where, you know, opinions are being shared and where everyone is, is uh, in, engaged in public debate. Well, that's where he went. That's where St. Paul went and got in that conversation. And... Um, there's so much to like about that story, but what happened is that Paul was almost exclusively repudiated. I mean, almost everybody scoffed, laughed, walked away, right? But the tiny handful that remained were some of the seeds of, of European Christianity, which meant the Christianity that, took, that went all over the world. So my point is, we go into our Areopagus, as Paul went into his, knowing all the dangers, knowing all the, the drawbacks, knowing that we'll be attacked and repudiated and laughed at by a lot of people. Um, okay, but that's the missionary call. It, it always has been difficult. It's always been painful. It's always been a great challenge, but that's where we go, you know? Now, you've been on social media for the past 10 years or so, and not only as a producer, you're not only producing content, but you use these tools. You've got the Facebook app and the YouTube app on your phones. Yeah. I mean, you use them almost every day. So, I wanted to get your feedback as a social media user and yeah. maybe pull out some of your experiences. So first of all, what's your general view of social media? Good, bad, mixture? What's your take? Yeah, it's a mix. Like everything else in human experience, it's a, it's a mix of good and bad. 
um, I think every day I experience what's wonderful about it. And every day I experience what's bad about it, <laughs> you know, uh, but that's okay. That's the way it goes in our fallen conflictual world. Uh, everything human uh, goes bad to some degree. Uh, the best things, think of the best achievements of humanity. They're all corrupt, at least around the edges, you know, because we're sinners. Those who invent them, those that use them are sinners. So that's not surprising. So I experience it every day, I'd say, as a, as a mix of good and bad. How about specifically on YouTube? That was one of the first platforms that you yeah. started using. And more specifically, how about the comment boxes of YouTube? What have been your experiences <laughs> there? Well, again, I say both good and bad. Uh, I've often mentioned that in the beginning, I didn't know there were comment boxes. That was sort of new to me. But you know, I've never, I've never uh, sympathized with the disable comments thing, um, even though you get an awful lot of negativity in those comment boxes. Um, I still believe in them. And I've experienced again every day and, and over the years many times the positive side, which is a real engagement with people that is intellectually and even spiritually constructive. Um, you do a video. Someone responds 94.8% of the time negatively, right? People rarely write in to say, my goodness, did I like that video? Thank you, <laughs> Bishop. I mean, that's just extremely rare. So it's almost always someone saying, you know, hey, okay, okay. Well, I got a little foothold now. I got a little foothold. I know, okay, here's what's bugging you. And maybe I can, you know, nuance this thing or clarify something. And sometimes, and I can show you, really good conversations have ensued. Once we get past the kind of emotional static, do you know what I mean? Again, nothing against the emotions, don't get me wrong, but there's a, there's a static quality to emotion. Anger, and, and I'm insulted, and and both sides do all this business. It's like, all right, all right, all right, all right. Can we let that clear? Now, what's at stake here? What claim are you making? What's the counterclaim I'm making? Which of us do you think is at least relatively right about this? Once we clear some of the static, we can actually get at that. Less so today, because I don't have as much time, but years ago when I first started, sometimes I'd have these long conversations. If I, if I sent somebody was thoughtful, in the double sense of that term, they were smart and they were, they were considerate, that we could actually make some progress. We could actually say, yeah, this is, is really clarifying some important things about the faith. So I, I like that in the com boxes. I think that can be a really constructive thing. And the com boxes can be awful places, as you and I both know, and everyone knows that. Uh, sometimes that emotional static I talked about can be just like a firestorm. It can just turn into nothing but two egos uh, hurling invective at each other, confirming each other in their very worst qualities. You know, So I get that. And as everyone has said, social media allows that worst of us to come out, you know, because and see, at least now, I mean, you and I are, are seeing each other. We're able to talk to each other. I can see, oh, there's a human being sitting over there in Orlando, you know, and if I say something really wounding to you, I might even see it reflected in your face, you know, well, that is a good constraint upon it, but we, we can't do that. It's just words appearing in a com box and which of us can be sharper, smarter, which of us can express hurt feelings with more anger? Once that happens, it's just, okay, there should be a referee you know, to throw a white flag and say, okay, all right, all right, that's the end. No more of this conversation. It's going nowhere good. 
But as you know, there isn't a referee. And so sometimes these things can just go on and on and on and produce nothing but smoke and heat and anger, you know. See, that's why we need a bishop of Catholic social media to adjudicate. Oh, yeah, that's my job to to throw the penalty flag. Boy, I'd be busy, man. You're you're mitered to kind of hook people as they go off the. I'd be a a very busy man, you know. And that's part of the problem, too, is, you know, there you are. You're in your your home space. You're in a comfortable setting. And all you got to do, if you know how to type, is it just takes you a couple minutes. Uh, At least, you know, years ago, you'd have to sit down and write an angry letter. You have to put it in an envelope and put a stamp on it, address it, send it to a magazine or a, or a newspaper. Now just boop, fire something off, you know? So that's the, that's the shadow side. One thing I struggle with is I totally uh, agree that the, the anonymity of the internet tends to inflate and stir up all of this anger and animosity and venom. But from an evangelistic perspective, I also know that there's a certain power in allowing people to be anonymous online. I've seen it when I converted to Catholicism. I didn't know any other Catholics. Yeah. was a little nervous about the fact that I was looking into Catholicism, but I could do it sort of secretly online. And I know a lot of people engage your content that way. Can you talk a little bit about the value of yeah. the anonymous culture? Yeah, I think so. And I'll tell you, this story has um, been told a number of times to me. Uh, someone will write to me and say, you know, I, I didn't get on the uh, uh, comment box, but I, 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 paid very close attention to it. When you were engaging that guy, remember a long time ago about that argument for God's existence thing? I'm like, uh, vaguely. Uh, well, the person was like, I was, I was like just waiting on every word, you know, what's he going to say? And what's the right response to that? And so in a very anonymous way, this person was actually benefiting from this evangelizing that was going on, maybe even despite myself, you know, there was an evangelizing going on and someone anonymously, very silently out there in cyberspace was benefiting from it. Um, and yeah, someone who might be too shy ever to say, I'm, I'm going to call or I'm going to write to Bishop Barron, well, they can jump on, you know, and uh, if things aren't going well, okay, just get off or delete my comment or something. So yeah, I can see it inviting someone in a very non-threatening way to get into the conversation. Well, as I mentioned, you've had several conversations with people over the years. You're not just pumping out videos and articles. You're using the social dimension of social media as well. Maybe you can give advice to some of the Catholics listening who maybe are on Facebook. They're trying to evangelize friends and family. Um, I guess two questions I'd be interested to know is, number one, how do you identify which conversations are worth pursuing? You know, we, we're, There's a hundred comment threads. How do we know which one to pick? And then number two, how do you determine when it's time to bow out? How do you know when yeah. this isn't really going anywhere? It's when the emotional storm is broken out and, and the, the, the emotional rain is just falling. Then you know, it's time to get out because then we're not getting anywhere. We're not getting a truth. And I think you can sort of sniff out. You can determine as you look through a number of things. Oh, yeah, there's an, actually an argument being made there. Uh, that's why you know, training and logic, Brandon. It's, I know it sounds kind of arcane, but training and logic is really helpful. Uh what are the logical moves being made? What are the logical fallacies? We talked about that. Was it last time we we're together? Mm. But that's very interesting. What are the logical fallacies that are being employed here? You know, But I think if you can sniff out an argument, you can sniff out a bit of goodwill, fine, get involved in that conversation. When the emotional rain starts falling and it's just an, a sharing of, of uh, anger, a venting of spleens, then it's time to get out of that conversation. When you're feeling in your, and I, I felt that, that I, I'm getting stirred up in this sort of uh, anti-personal way. Like I'm against this guy. This guy is getting on my nerves. It's time to get out. 
because <laughs> now you're just now you're you're harming rather than illuminating. Um, and that does take a lot of spiritual and psychological discipline to be able to do that. And a bit of advice I, I've given others, I give myself too, is um, remember, 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 behind those words is a person. And, and the words can just, they appear so baldly on the screen. They can be obscene. They can be hate-filled. They can be venomous. But okay, somewhere out there in cyberspace is someone who wrote those words. And try to imagine that person, you know? And that might curtail your desire to like, oh, just get back and let me show you I'm cleverer than you are. And, you know, uh, remember there's a person out there. And then I'd say shut the thing down when it's just an emotional rain falling. I know one thing that worries a lot of people on social media, especially Catholics, is the tendency of many of these tools to develop into just sort of an echo chamber. And I think it's kind of mm -hmm. it's kind of built into the tools themselves because like the Facebook newsfeed will cater the stuff you see based around the stuff you already like and the stuff yeah. that you already share. So it's kind of like a self-fulfilling. Uh, it's the shadow side of all that. Yeah. You know, it's of, funny. How, how, how do we get out of that? Well, I don't, I'm not sure how we get out of it, but let me just, just last night, I happened to stumble on, on PBS, a program on, on Bob Hope. Now, younger people don't even remember who Bob Hope was, but you know, when I was a kid, Bob Hope was still, he was older man, but his career was still going. And one of the most popular entertainers of the 20th century, period. Um, but here's what struck me is they were saying how Bob Hope was in some ways, even before Johnny Carson and those people doing topical humor, like he would do, he kind of make fun of politicians and all this. But as, as you watched him, and I remember this from Bob Hope, it wasn't this sort of mean spirited, uh, sharply political attack. It was more playful and it was kind of, you know, the silly side of things, or it was sort of making little light banter. Now, the reason is, the reason is. Bob Hope had to appeal to everybody, right? He was one of the few programs on TV. I remember that when I was a kid, boom, 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 boom. You had four channels on TV, basically. So when Bob Hope came on, Bob Hope couldn't appeal to like some little tiny swath of the conservative audience or the liberal audience. He would appeal to everybody, you know? In a way, that made us gentler. You know, see now, though, with such niche audiences, so I'm a comedian, I'm appealing to this one extreme left feather of the left wing of the political conversation or the right feather of the right wing. That's, that's demeaned us in a way, you know, and it's contributed to, as you say, the echo chamber. So the handful of people that believe this narrow perspective, I'll tell jokes to them that they'll like. And then the handful of people on the other side, who are the comedians who would speak to everybody that everybody like Carson too is a good example. Johnny Carson had to appeal to the whole country. He couldn't be like polemically uh, Republican or polemically Democratic. Uh, and that's, that's a problem. Uh, the, this, the specification of the audience has led to some of this polarization. One question I have is when you look at the, the earliest Christians, <clears throat> they were able to grow so quickly because they were distinct. They were different from the surrounding culture and people noticed the magnanimous way they loved people or the way they cared for the poor, the orphan, the widows. Do you think there's a distinctly Christian way to use social media? What would that look like? It would, it would look like love. And, and you're right. If people from the outside are watching and listening to us Catholics talk and all they hear is bitter polemics, that'll attract nobody. Even if they say, oh yeah, I think his argument's right. 
it'll attract nobody. Um, you do it with love. Love means willing the good of the other. So um, I'm trying to tell the truth, let's say as an evangelist. Okay, good. But the truth in love, veritas in caritate. If I'm telling the truth, but not in love, people aren't going to listen. But if they sense, oh yeah, this, this is a, a good hearted person who really wants others to know this truth that he's found very winsome. Good. I think they will find that appealing. So just as we reached out in the early days to uh, the poor and to the sick, uh, we, we cared for uh, the newborns, which uh, ancient Roman society often didn't, that made Christianity very attractive. So the manner of our dialogue can be attractive or unattractive evangelically. If we fall into ranting and raving at each other, we'll attract nobody outside of our little narrow conversation. I want to invite you to put your spiritual director hat on now. Um, I've talked to a lot of priests recently who have told me that they've seen an enormous rise of people coming to them, both for pastoral counsel and for confession with issues related to social media. Mm -hmm. You got the addictive quality of social media. A lot of people are, are worried that social media is crowding out their spiritual life. You know, they yeah. say, I check my phone first thing in the morning. It's the last thing I look at at night, but I, I don't really pray anymore. What, what spiritual counsel and advice would you offer Christians in regards to these tools? We should do a whole program on this because I think it's super important, Brandon. I just read an article recently. Now, where was it? But uh, the author was making, I thought, very wise suggestions about, for example, when a family sits down for dinner, there's a basket next to the table and everybody puts their phone in the basket. Just so we make sure that while we're together, we're actually going to talk to each other and look at each other. Um that there be, uh, I remember a good colleague of mine at Mundelein Seminary, the great father, Larry Hennessy, had a little tiny, it wasn't an hourglass, it was like a 15 minute, you know, timer. And he said, whenever he goes on, on the computer, social media, he would turn that over to make sure that he would only spend 15 minutes on it. Um, I think some of those disciplines are, are really good. And I totally get how addictive these screens are. And, you know, just as um, certain restaurants produce their food in a way that's meant to be very addictive. So this, the purveyors of social media know how to do that. They know how to produce this thing in such a way that you're just drawn into it. You know, I think we I think everyone that's ever been on social media knows this thing, the whole clickbait, you know, when someone will throw a little ad and, hey, look at you know, these pictures of whatever it is. And, oh, yeah, let me look at that. And all they're doing is trying to draw you into this world of, you know, ads, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you know, and you're drawn in and then you realize... <laughs> After five minutes, what am I doing? Why am I looking at this, you know, ridiculous ad that's telling me nothing of any importance? But it's drawn me in, just like you know, hey, here's a piece of candy, you know, oh yeah, piece of candy. That's that sounds good. Um, so I get that. I think the addictive thing is the most dangerous part of it spiritually. Now, at the at the furthest edge, pornography. But see, but even I'm shy of pornography. There's all kinds of other forms of addiction. I think where the social media draw us in. And, and I, I know that experience of almost like you have to like, like shake your head. Like, all right, I, I got to get out of that world. Put that thing away, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and yeah, I think in this article I referred to, she mentioned, is the first thing you do in the morning to go on your phone, then you got a problem. That, that before you uh, uh, greet your children, you know, before anything, you're on your phone uh, now, I know emergencies and all that. We all get that. But uh, there's something up the matter. Uh, so we, we should do a whole program just on how to avoid these uh, addictive qualities. 
as we near the end here, I got a handful of rapid fire questions. So I just want to fire these okay. off and give you get you like one word, two word responses. Okay. All right. First off, okay. favorite social media platform? Uh, maybe a tie YouTube and Facebook. Do you use social media more on your computer or your phone? Um, probably phone. Probably Fa phone. Favorite person or group to follow on social media? Um, who do I follow on social media? It better be Word on Fire. <laughs> I do have Word on Fire <laughs> app on there, you know. Uh, no, and I, I think when I, I go through the Facebook feed sometimes, like, oh, what's going on? And, and I, I have a number of things there that uh, some of the Catholic news stuff, like I, I, I use it for, for news a lot. Like, what's going on? What, what's, what are people talking about today, you know? So maybe just that, news. One thing you like most about social media? Well, I think, first of all, that, that it's, it's newsy. It's, it's a way of getting plugged in. I feel more plugged in when I've, when I've looked through social media. And then I would say uh, connection, that it is at its best a way of establishing connection. It's almost along the lines of Teilhard de Chardin's noosphere. You know, when Teilhard dreamed that one day there'd be this kind of web, I think he even used that, that word, the web that would connect all of us to everybody else. And it's as though the whole planet became like an organism, like a brain. And he, it was a fantasy when he was talking about it. But in a way, it's come true, hasn't it? it he, he never thought it was possible, but it, it, within 50 years, it came true. So I think that connectedness. How about the one thing you most detest about social media? Yeah, addiction. I, and it's that feeling. I can, I can almost summon it now, that feeling I get when I'm like, I, all right, put that thing away. You've been, you've been looking at a lot of nonsense now for the past, you know, whatever, 20 minutes and, and just put it away. The, the, the addictive quality, the way it takes us away from the world, you know, and, and I, you know, I've, um, I'll confess to it. Sometimes you're, you're out with people and, and we just do it now. So naturally like, Oh, email came. Well, I mean, what are the odds that that email is of such importance that oh, you've got to look from, at it? It's from the Pope. He needs me right yeah. now. Yeah. What are the odds that the Pope is emailing you <laughs> to say, there is a 99.987% chance that that email could be looked at later, right? But yet, isn't it true? It's the addictive. Ooh, oh, the bell went off. The, the buzzer, I felt, I felt the buzzer. I, I have to look at my stupid phone, you know? Uh, but I do it because I've, I've become um, uh, conditioned that way. I hate that about it. I hate what it's done to us, you know? You know, not a few people have compared it to a slot machine. Like the odds are yeah. really, really, right. really small that I'm going to win yet, this. Yeah, cha-ching, yeah, cha-ching. No, it's exactly right. But we all felt, we all sense it. You're having an in-depth conversation with someone and then his, his you can hear it maybe. <laughs> There's someone email came. Well, big deal, who cares? Look at it tonight, you know? But I, I do the same thing. All right, let's close with this question. As a Catholic bishop, what's one bit of advice that you wish to give all Catholics who use social media? Uh, do it with love. Uh, and don't sentimentalize that word. Love means to will the good of the other. So when you're on social media, you just think that. Am I doing this with love? Am I willing the good of the other as I'm involved in this world? Or am I using it as a tool of, of ego uh, aggrandizement? Um, so love, love, always think, I, I might even recommend, put that up on your computer. To love is to will the good of the other. Okay, so make sure when you're on social media, that's what you're doing. <laughs> that's my advice.
Well, that sound means it is time for our question from one of our listeners. If you have a question, just go to askbishopbaron.com, record your question on any device. We'd love to hear it. Today, we get to hear from Rich, who is from your Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Ah, and good. he's asking about the recent interviews you did with Dave Rubin and Ben Shapiro. So here's Rich's question. Ah, okay. Hey, Bishop Barron, this is Rich from Los Angeles. My question is this, now that you've been on the Rubin Report and Ben Shapiro's Sunday Special, does that mean you're a card-carrying member of the intellectual dark web? And when are you and Jordan Peterson gonna sit down for a couple hours and solve all the world's problems? Thanks for all the awesome work you do, and I hope you keep it up. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, yeah, the intellectual dark web, I, I'm a little foggy on, on the exact meaning of it. I think it, it means this, um, little coterie of people who have really made a splash through the internet, a little bit outside of the mainstream sort of vehicles of communication. And you mentioned, yeah, Jordan Peterson and Ben Shapiro, uh, Joe Rogan's another one, I think, who have these podcast shows that have proven to be massively popular. And even like a format of, of a two-hour or three-hour conversation, right? And they often represent viewpoints that uh, might not make their way into the mainstream world. So I guess that's what you mean by the intellectual dark web. And, um, you know, Jordan Peterson, someone that I've, I've written about, I admire in many ways, have questions about him as well. Uh, and, and Ruben and Shapiro, you know, I've just I've been on Ruben's show a couple times, Shapiro now once. Uh, not that I, I don't know them well enough to say I, I really agree or disagree with all their points of view. Um, am I happy to be in that conversation? I say, yeah, sure. In the measure that these are, you know, decent people who are exploring things that might not get explored otherwise. Um, so to that degree, I suppose I'm I'm happy to be you know part of it. I don't think I'm part of some grand conspiracy. Believe me, they're not like reaching out to hey, come on, join our join our intellectual world. Uh, they reached out to invite me to be on the program. So you know, I'm in in the spirit of Paul and the Areopagus. That's I think you go. The church should go where people are talking in the culture. They should go where where um, opinions are being shared and and lively thought is on display. So that's where I you know I've decided to join that universe. Well, I know we get this question at least a couple times a week. When is Bishop Barron going to sit down with Jordan Peterson? And so to everybody listening to this, we are working on it. We've got some good leads. We've been talking with Dr. Peterson's people. We're hoping to do a big event in 2019. Stay tuned to the podcast. We'll give you all the details as as things develop, but please just know that it's it's in the cards. We're we're definitely working on it soon. Well, uh, Bishop, I want to thank you so much for joining us to talk about this important subject. I'd like to thank all of our listeners for listening to this episode. And stay tuned. We'll see you next week right here on the Word on Fire show. Mm -hmm.